Amen. Uh, so English is my second language, or my third or fourth, if I'm really honest. Uh, and, and there's one thing that I was taught in English classes that you're not supposed to use double negatives. Double negatives are a no-no. There you go. So, so, so those of us in the Inland Empire are used to not using double negatives. You'll never meet someone in Riverside who'll say a statement like this, I ain't got none. That's bad English. That's a double negative. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if this is a double negative or not, but I remember there was a song that was very, very popular in the, in the two thousand, early 2000s. And it was like this. It went like this. Oh, no. Heck no. Y'all done up and done it. How do you done up and done it? How do you do that? You know? It's like a double, right? When you study scripture, sometimes you'll discover that the Bible translators are trying to clean up the words of Jesus because Jesus was a normal blue-collar guy and sometimes to, to emphasize the nature of the salvation that he gives to humanity, he would use double negatives. He would use language that can't be translated into proper vernacular. And so he said this, he said, no, never, ever, never, no, never, uh-uh, no way, forever, ever. Is the nature of the salvation that he gives. I grew up singing a song that went like this. When I remember what he's done for me, I'll never go back anymore. Hallelujah. Anybody know that song? No, no, never, never, uh-uh, uh No way. That was, the girl, that was the girl part. I'll never go back anymore. John chapter 10 verse 22 opens up like this. says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. I'll give you a 30-second 30, 30 uh, teaching right here just on the feast of dedication. Feast of dedication is an intertestament uh, celebration. You'll not find the Feast of Dedication in the Old Testament. There were certain feasts that God had prescribed for his people. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of um, uh, 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 Booths, which is the same thing, uh, and all these different feasts that were pointing people to Jesus, right? This feast right here was one that took place and was, that began during the middle of the Testaments between Malachi and Matthew. So you have to uh, do your research to discover how it came about. What you'll discover is that there was, a, there was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes who was a, 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 an invader who came into Jerusalem and wanted to make the Jews become Hellenistic, Jew, Greek-like. Okay? And so uh, what he did is that he created a statue of Zeus and he placed it in the most holy of holies in the tabernacle. Now that right there was a desecration. It was, it was a, a complete abomination of desecration. That's what the scripture calls it, right? To put the statue of a man-made God in the place where God, in their view, dwelt. And so Judas Maccabees came and he revolted. And he came when he uh, uh, overthrew this uh, foreign power. He went and cleansed the temple and rededicated the temple. And so the Feast of Dedication was the celebration of that event taking place. Now, there's a movement of which I am very familiar because I come from that movement that will tell you that the, the, the uh, cleansing of the temple took place on October 20, 22, 1844, when he started a new movement of a church that calls itself the Remnant Church of Bible Prophecy. 
and they base it on this whole event of Jesus cleansing the tabernacle. And you can tell them, uh, bro, you need to uh, stop trying to witness to me and kissing me with your bad theology. Because in John chapter 10, verse 22, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was celebrating the cleansing of the temple. It didn't happen in 1844. That right there was for free. And I give it to you because one day, because you live in this region where this movement is very prominent, someone's going to try to lead you astray by teaching you a doctrine that says that in 1844, that's when God, through Jesus, cleansed the temple. And you can say, no, bro, Hanukkah is a celebration of the cleansing of the temple that took place when Judas Maccabees cleansed the temple. Is that, is that good? You're good with that? I give that to you so that you can, stu- you, you can go home and study more. And when you're, you encounter these types of theologies, you will have a verse to go back to. So we'll move on. <clears throat> that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Uh, that, that's good English for they accosted Jesus. They surrounded him, and they confronted him. They said, We want you to publicly... Tell us who you think you are. They wanted him to reveal himself to them. Here's the thing about some people. Some people search scriptures not to put faith in Jesus, but to discredit Jesus. Some people will come and say, let's have a Bible study. And they're trying to discredit what Jesus has said. You know, the biggest question, the biggest thing that that, uh, separates us from the cults is who is Jesus? The cults will tell you, Jesus was not God. He was a God. He was not fully God. He had a beginning point. And here's the thing about it. If anyone wants to ask the question, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did, why did they arrest Jesus and put him on a cross? The answer is right here. He claimed that he was God. He claimed that he himself was God. The disciples had a tough time fully understanding it, but the Pharisees and the scribes who wanted to arrest him understood exactly what he was saying. So he says this. He says, uh, Jesus answered them, verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. Everyone say, you do not believe. The issue here is believe. Believe. The, The gospel of John was written not so you could discredit, but so that you can believe. Okay? He says, you do not believe. I've told you and I've showed you. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them. Everyone say he gives it to us. Oh, my gosh. We can just preach and go home right now. If you just want to quit church right now and just walk out and go to lunch, if you're hungry right now, just know you can walk out knowing that salvation and eternal life was something that you didn't work yourself into. It was given to you. It was granted to you. It was just God was just like, you know what? Um, You. There you go. It's yours, Maurice. Have that. Enjoy it. I give it to you. Because the thing about it is that if you can earn it, you can do something bad to discern it. If you can get to heaven by your good works, you can kick yourself out of heaven because you know you're dirty and you know you're bad. You live in the Inland Empire. <laughs> he says, I give eternal life. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What he's saying is this, is that I give them eternal life. It's not conditional life. It's eternal life. And they will know, no, never, ever, forever, ever, until the end of the age, never, ever, no, never, uh, 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 perish, is what Jesus is saying. It is impossible. Once I've given it to you, you can't ungive it. You can't take it away. It's completely yours. You will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you guys know a one? No one can snatch it from you. Because once you has it, you has it. It's not good English, but it communicates. Because he's, if he's given it to you, you have it, right? So the moment you place faith in Christ, it's been given to you. And eternal life began at the moment where you said, thank you, Jesus. When the slow song was playing and, and the worship leader was saying, just as I am. Um, you don't know the words. And you came down to the altar. At that moment, you has it. It's yours. He gave it to you. Can we move on for a second? We'll come back. No one can snatch it out of my hand. And my father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able. Oh, I love that. Oh, my gosh. I love that. First one, my father who's given them to Do you know that salvation, this whole thing called the gospel, when we come into eternal life, you, you and I are God the father's gift to Jesus. God the Father wanted to give his son a present. So he says, you know what, Jesus? Maurice is yours. Monica, Jesus, she's I, I, I'm giving her to you. You are his gift to the son. You guys with me so far? My father has given them to me. It's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Now, the thing about uh, us when we read the scriptures is that we don't read it from a Jewish uh, teaching perspective. These are teachers of the law. These are people who have been trained in theology. They've memorized the first five books at least, if not the entire Old Testament. And so whenever they'd get up and pray, there's this Jewish prayer that the Jews would pray. It's called the Shema. They'll say, Behold, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is... So when Jesus says... The Father and I are my God. That is the moment where like, he just said it. He says that in essence, in work, in equality, he is calling himself God. Pick up a stone. The text literally says that in, 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 in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again. This is the fourth time. That, that, that they've tried to kill him. They picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them. And this is where Jesus begins to really, really stunt on them right now. I mean, this is like good stuff right here. If you want to see verbal word, if you want to see Jesus like straight up punch people in the eye, this is it right here. So he says this, uh, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? In John chapter 2, I turned water to wine. Are you ticked off that I turned water to wine? You want to stone me for turning water to great wine? 
I healed the centurion's son. I, 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 there was a woman who had an issue of blood, and she just touched the hem of the garment, and, and, and she was healed. Do you want to stone me for that? There was a man with a withered hand, and, and I, I stretched out his hand, and, and he's able to use his hand again now. Do you want to stone me for that? Do you want to stone me for the fact that you all were hungry? You did not have anything to eat. One of you was getting hangry. That's when you're hungry and angry at the same time. And I took Long John Silver carry out and turned it into a banquet to feed 20,000 of y'all. You want to stone me for that? You want to stone me for the fact that I walked on water and I commanded the elements in the sea to, 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 be, to be at peace? Which good work have I done that you want to stone me for? And so they respond, uh, well, <laughs> Jesus... Um, uh, Verse 33, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself God. The so-called experts of today, the theologians of today will tell you, well, you know, the thing is just that Jesus never claimed to be God. The, the, the guy who come and knock on your door with a little magazine will tell you, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And these Pharisees are like, you've just claimed to be God. He does not deny that. As a matter of fact, he takes it a little bit deeper. He says, uh, Jesus answers them, it is not written in your, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? So what Jesus is doing is he's quoting from Psalm 82 verse 6. Where, where God is speaking uh, to, to Israel and saying that you, the, the, the prophets, the judges, and the kings who've been my spokespeople, my, my spokesmen, have been called gods because they've, they've, been, they've been speaking for me. And you have called them gods because they've speak, spoken my word. Okay? You've called them Lord because of this. But these men were jacked up. They were busted and disgusted. They had issues. They had flaws. They had a subscription of issues. They were messed up. And some of you are like, man, you know, I've done some things in life. I, 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 I shoplifted from Rite Aid. One time I was on the Internet. and that, Well, I was actually on my phone and that Instagram image came. And, 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 I, and I clicked on it and I went to the other. And I, was, I, I, got, stu- I got pulled to this site. And, I was, and that's my one thing. And it makes you feel like God can't use you anymore. Am I speaking to anybody? Here's the thing about the Bible. Two-thirds of the Bible was written by murderers. Moses, murderer. David, murderer and fornicator and adulterer and jacked up man. Yet a man after God's own heart. The Apostle Paul. Two-thirds of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. Murderer. Breathing hatred against God's people. And yet God uses unperfect people to do his work. And so Jesus is saying, you've called these broken, jacked up people who God has used little gods because they spoke for God. How about the man that God has consecrated and sent from his side? The the word that was with God, the word that was God, the word that became flesh. When he comes and says that he's the son of God, why do you have a problem with that? You didn't have a problem with David. You didn't have a problem with Moses. You didn't have a problem with Abraham. 
And so he goes on, he says, uh, verse 37, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then, then, then don't believe me. But if I am doing them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Look at my credit report. If you don't trust what I'm saying, look at my credit report. Look, just ask around. Ask the blind man. Believe the works. I, I love this because to these people who don't want to believe in him, to the very last moment, Jesus knows what's in their heart, knows that they're not going to put faith in them, but he's still pleading, please, if you don't like my accent, if you don't like the fact that I'm from Nazareth, that I'm from Galilee, at least look at my track record. Look what I've done and place faith in my works. Pleading with them, yet they don't believe. Again, verse 39, they sought to arrest him. But he escaped from their hands, and he went away again to Jordan, to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. This is Jesus' closing of his public ministry. In John chapter 1, he began his public ministry with John the Baptist calling him the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And now to close his public ministry, Jesus goes back to the place where John declared who he was. And the people come, and they declare, John, John spoke about this. This, this, everything that this man has done, John spoke about it. Here's the thing about it. You may witness to people. You may share your testimony to people, and you think you're speaking to deaf ears. But when the Holy Spirit opens up their heart, there's a moment where they remember, Maurice spoke to me about this stuff. Mike Wilcox shared with me at that coffee shop. He, he told me that God loved me, that he had a plan for my life. And so don't stop because these people three years later are now coming to faith based on what John said prior. He's been dead for years, but his testimony is still speaking. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. The issue is belief. The reason why the Pharisees and the scribes did not place faith and did not repent was not a lack of revelation. They saw Jesus do some stuff. It wasn't for a lack of information. They had the truth, but instead of loving the truth that Jesus spoke, they hated their sin. Or they loved their sin, rather. And they hated the truth. Instead of ex ac accepting the information and allowing it to become transformation through repenting of their sin, they loved their position. They loved their religion. They stuck to their religion and their guns. Come on, somebody. And Jesus says, here's the thing. The reason why they don't believe is because they're not part of my flock. But my sheep hear my voice. What we're going to get into now is called the doctrine of election. How are we saved? My perspective of salvation begins over here. I am in Lincoln, Nebraska. I run a business. I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm aspiring to be a, a billionaire by day and a crime-fighting superhero by night. You're thinking Batman. I was thinking black man. <laughs> I was just going to get a cape, and I was on the verge of getting my cape. My Friday night looked like this, partying. <laughs> this is how we do it. <laughs> okay, all right. Just took you all back. And Saturday morning consisted of me going to church with a hangover, but because I had to observe the Sabbath, 
hoping that the deacons did not smell the alcohol that was still on my breath. And Saturday night meant, actually, going to church was just to hook up with people. You know, you didn't go to church to find out where the party's at. You know what I'm talking about, Pastor Drew. You go there and say, oh, so, so what are we doing later on? Okay, after lunch, okay, when the sun sets, after you've closed the Sabbath, meet me at the club. You can find me in the club, bottle full of bub, honey, got your knees. All right. Sorry. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning was hangover. Sunday night was when we used to call we used to call it Famous Dave's. Famous Dave's when was was when me and my boys would go to to a, to a clubhouse and and get smoked out like like bad, like like it was horrible. That that one high would last the entire week. Sunday night at Famous Dave's, and then Jesus, I'm over here and I start discovering things about Jesus and. And reading about Jesus. And, and then I'm like, man, I like this guy named Jesus. And, and, and then I, I come to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and when I start following Jesus and I start reading the word, I discover that my salvation did not begin when I began walking towards him. But rather, it started over here in eternity past where Jesus, before I was born, before I was thought of, had written down my name in the Lamb's book of life and called me by name. Before I even knew it, God was pursuing me and he knew that there'd be a moment where his Holy Spirit would wake me up and he would capture me. Salvation is the Lord's. The gospel is the Lord's. Salvation is God's responsibility. Faith and belief is my respondability. That's my word. Responsibility of how you get saved is up to God. Belief and faith is my respondability. And even that, can I just add this to you? It's a plus lesson. For you are saved by grace through what? And what does it say next? Not of your own. Even that is a gift. My, my respondability takes place when the Holy See, the, the First Corinthians chapter uh, 2 says this, says that, that the natural man cannot conceive or, or understand the things of the Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to bring me to this place where this stuff starts making sense. Before, I thought it was Star Trek. Like, man, they're talking about the force. This yeah, makes sense. Some Hollywood writer wrote this thing. It becomes life when the Holy Spirit starts revealing it to you. Let me tell you something. I cannot harmonize for you God's predestination and our responsibility. We're not supposed to understand it. All I know is this. Before the foundations of the world, he chose me. It was his responsibility. And at some point... I was already his sheep, but I'd hear his voice. I'd be known by him, and I would follow. Do you see that? Sheep, known by him, his responsibility, I followed. My respondability. Follow. If you're a Christian, are you following or are you just a fan? 
Because he, he, here's the thing. I, I talk to Christians all the time. I'm a Christian. You know, I, I love God. God loves me. And I'm a Christian. Grace, grace, grace. Shine, Jesus, shine. And you call yourself a Christian and all that. And, and, and I'm like, man, if you're a Christian, does your life look like following Jesus? Or is it just, does it look like you're following yourself and just putting a label on yourself? And, you see, and God says this, and Jesus said this, and you're like, well, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to convict me of that. And you think that conviction of the Holy Spirit means that it becomes easier to let go of. What I've discovered in my short Christian life is that when I'm convicted, it means I really like it still. I'm still, like, all up in it. I'm like, I like this. I enjoy it. Mm. And then the Holy Spirit says, that's not right. Yeah, that's not that's not the blessed life that I'm calling you to. You need to change. Like, oh, I'm not convicted yet. When, when, it will become easy when I'm convicted. It becomes harder when the Spirit convicts you. That's when it's tough. It's like, oh, my. That's when you understand, take up your cross. Taking up your cross is not a, it's not a, it's not a light cross. It's not a nice sanitized silver toned, you know, I wear it around my neck. It's my cross I carry. It's a heavy thing where you're like, man, it's cost me this. It's cost, it's cost me changing my attitudes. It's cost me changing my affections. But if I'm going to live the Zoe God life that he came to give, I have to let it go. I'll finish this up in two minutes. He says, I give them eternal life, and they'll never, no, never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life. It is a gift. It is a gift that came from him, and he gives it to us. It's not conditional life. Because if you can lose this life, it would not be called eternal life. It would be called conditional life. If you continue keeping up your mortgage payments to God, you can still have the house in heaven. But it's given to you. And you will no, never, ever, uh, 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 no way ever perish forever, ever. And then he goes on and says, and here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. Um, uh, Fauzia, come up here. And, 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 and uh, Ashley, both of you, come up here real quick. I'll illustrate to you this way. He says that, th- that this life that I give is, is, can be described this way. I'm the one who's responsible for your salvation, right? Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you is faithful to keep it until the day of salvation. Amen? The shepherd is a good shepherd because he's not an incompetent shepherd who loses his sheep. The question is not, can a Christian lose their salvation? The question is, can the good shepherd still be called the good shepherd if he loses his sheep? Can God lose a Christian? He says, this is how it works. And, and you, you'll be Jesus. And this is just little lamb, Ashley. And Jesus says that your salvation is that you're in my hand. And the Father who's given you to me, is greater than all. And you're in his hand too. My little nephew, Nabil, your son. You can be out at a carnival, whatever it is, and he'll want to wander off and run away. 
because that's what sheep do. But if the parent is holding on to him, there's no way they're going to let go. What more for Jesus with your life, your eternal life? He says that you're in his hand and you're in the Father's hand. He says that your salvation is so secure. It is a double-gripped salvation. You cannot be lost. He cannot lose you. There's no one on earth who can snatch you out of his hand, no matter what happens, no matter the turmoil, turbulence, whatever it is, no matter what devil, no matter man, whatever theology may come into it, you're in his hand. You're doubly secure in his hand. No, no, never, thank you. Uh, 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 no way. You'll never go back to the sheepfold of the world. You're his and his alone. Amen? We respond to God now. We respond. If you're not a Christian, the shepherd has called you. And he's saying, come out and follow me. I am the door. You only enter into the kingdom through me. If you are a Christian and you've been living your life as a fan of Jesus and not a follower, he's saying, come on. Let's go to the next level and do this thing for real. So we respond as we sing this worship song, as we give our gifts. The best gift you can give Jesus is your life. And if you've given your life as a gift, then the offering that you give is nothing more than just a thank you card saying, Lord, you're my sustainer. Your works are still working in my life. And I give this to you so that you can find more sheep that you're calling, that you've already written in your Lamb's book of life. So they too may understand that he you have overcome the world. So let's respond. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian. He's speaking to you today.